0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: It's tribe time now. Hey, hey, hey. One, two, tribe now.
2: Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe, time now. tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive. Helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. everyone. Welcome to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse, along with you this weekend with Baseball Talk on the radio as we take you through the off season and transition from the Cleveland Indians to the Cleveland Guardians. And this show will have a name change in about a month or so to Guardians Weekly, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on that as we get closer. Coming up later on this week's show, we will take a look back at the life and times of Ray Fossey, who passed away earlier this week at the age of 74. The former Indians all-star catcher was a two-time all-star, a gold Glover, and also was part of two World Series winning teams with the Oakland Athletics, the team that he was a fine broadcaster for up until this season. But when we return... We will head out west to Phoenix, Arizona, and be joined by Larry Day, who runs the Indians Instructional League. I had a chance to take in some Instructional League action last weekend at the Complex in Goodyear, and we'll fill you in on what that's all about and some of the exciting Indians' young prospects as we continue as Tribe Talk gets rolling right here on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Bottom of the ninth, two outs, base is loaded. This
1: is what it's all about. And here's the pitch. Go oh, a deep drive to center. Way back. This could go all the- And now a message from our sponsor. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive for great savings and round the clock protection. Progressive. Uh-oh. I can't believe it! Did that really just happen? Don't you never forget where you were when you heard that call? Progressive. There's never a bad time for great protection. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Bundle. Discount not available in all states or situations.
2: Welcome back to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Joined now by larry day who's the player programs coordinator in the indians organization what does that mean well last weekend had a chance to be out in phoenix and stopped in at the indians complex in goodyear where instructional league is taking place and, and basically larry oversees the day-to-day of instructional league and uh, larry great to have you with us and i know uh, for you it the fall must be a A fun time to to see some players getting more at-bats and and trying to get better on a daily basis as part of Instructional League.
0: Good morning, Rosie. Thanks for connecting. Um, Absolutely. It is extremely fun to be able to have about 30 to 35 players back, essentially on campus, if you will, at our Goodyear Complex. Um, A lot of these guys just finished – their 120-game campaign, um, and to be able to flow right into a competitive fall season to, to continue their development and continue to, to put them in competitive environments, both from a training and game standpoint, uh, we feel was a, a really advantageous way to spend our, our month of October. So, um, yeah, we, we've had a lot of fun with it.
2: And when you look at instructional league, I, I know – over the years, and you can go back a long way, it's kind of come and gone to some extent. And recently, especially with, with all the different things going on in our world, it's been hard to put together an instructional league. Why so important to, to get it going again this, this fall and, and have a chance for those kids to play?
0: Well, I think, to your point, there has been different models that not only us as an organization, but the industry has, has attempted to execute over the years, Um, Just based on the needs of that year Um, and the needs of, of this year felt like with those players having essentially lost a whole year for their development, it seemed to it seemed to make sense to revert to a model that that showed them being at the complex for five or six weeks and for essentially tacking on 27 more games onto their minor league season. Taking it to roughly that 140 uh, game clip, which is the normal duration of a minor league season. So, um, along with the ability to be able to get those guys more at bats and more playing time in this instructional league, weedy classic format, um, it also gives us a chance to spend another chunk of time for developmental purposes to, to continue to uh, progress players with their individual goals. And to uh, and and to just flat out practice with those guys in addition to playing the game on a daily basis.
2: It, it's interesting because I can remember working in the minor <coughs> leagues back in the the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, a lot of times players would they'd hear they were going to instructional league and they'd be kind of oh man, you know I'm dragging. It's the end of a long season. But it sounds like for maybe some of the reasons you just mentioned, that there's a little more enthusiasm toward it this year, maybe because of of the lack of available playing time uh, the past cup calendar year or so. Have you noticed a a real good enthusiasm for this time of year to be playing baseball among the the players out there?
0: I have. I I certainly have. I think that's an assessment to the players um, and certainly the staff that we have um, working with these guys, I think there's a few reasons for that heightened intensity during this this instructional league program. Um, the first reason is I think the guys still had more baseball to play. With that shortened season um, and coming from a season where they didn't play, I think a lot of these guys were hungry for baseball. And, and it's going to take not just this fall, but but plenty of time to be able to fill that void of of taking away a full year of baseball from these guys. So that, in addition to, um, it seems like they're just having a a really good time being with each other as teammates. Uh, Obviously during the the normal affiliate season, everyone spreads out all over the country, um, largely in Ohio, but also in Lynchburg and Arizona. And, And this program enabled the chance for, everyone to get back together in one spot uh to to go through the daily process with each other both from a training and then compete with each other so these guys are, are back on the field with some of their teammates that they haven't seen in in a year or so and uh it seems like they're thriving off of each other's uh energy and and kind of wants to continue to improve and develop as a as a player and as a team
2: Larry Day is joining us. He's the Indians' player programs coordinator. He runs instructional league, which is going on right now out in Goodyear, Arizona. And again, I had a chance to to head over there last weekend and and take in an inner squad game. And uh, Larry, I know you you probably would love to talk about every player who's there in in some regard, but if we can touch on just a few, the the one who stands out immediately because he's just a big man is uh, John Kenzie Noel, who had a, a real nice season at the a ball level this year. And, uh, boy, when you see him, uh, what are some of the things that get you excited about the possibilities for him?
0: Gosh, you're right. It, it really is great to see John Kenzie again. Last time I saw him at the complex was the summer of 2019. It was his first season over here in the States and to, to be able to have watched him progress over the past couple of years. And like, you noted the season that he had, um, Surely special, but as far as with John Kenzie, for me, it's the sheer athleticism plus the size and strength. Um, I, I think that those physical attributes are the baseline enabling him to do some of the things that he does. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a physical structure that's about six foot four, 230 plus pounds that you'd think would be maybe limited to first base. Well, that's not the case here because of the athleticism. I mean, John Kenzie can play a really nice third base. Uh, He reps in the outfield to add some defensive versatility to to his um, portfolio. And you combo that athleticism with kind of his hit skill. I mean, because that's obviously a tool that He showcased really well this year. um, That athleticism, size, power—all that play into you know his ability to play a diverse amount of defensive positions and bring that power to the plate is what makes John Kenzie, I think, a a very, very interesting uh, young player.
2: And you mentioned interesting and some of the things he's doing. It seems like instructional league is is that great spot to see what a player can do. And, and I'm kind of heading down the road with, with Brian Lavastida, a catcher, but it sounds like you're moving him around a little bit out in Instructional League, maybe to see if, if there's some other possibilities in his game.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Instructional League certainly does provide that environment to be able to, again, I think the basis for everything we do in, in our player development system is to develop these players and, and whatever is best for the player whatever's best for the organization is, is something that we're going to help try and provide from an environment, training, and game standpoint. And that's what you're seeing from Lava right now. You're seeing a, a catcher um, who's obviously had plenty of offensive success within his whole minor league career, uh, getting reps at second base, getting, getting reps from a practice standpoint, and also getting out there and playing the game at second base to kind of give him some versatility as a player um, to where if he's not catching on a given night, to be able to, to still get him in the lineup and, and, and let him hit because that hit skill is certainly special from Lava uh, to, to have versatility as a defender and play some infield um, is only going to help himself as a player. It'll help whatever team he's on and hopefully help the organization.
2: Obviously, pitching is such a big part of everything the Indians do, and I thought it was interesting this year, uh, with the draft being moved back, a lot of college pitching was selected in the draft, but uh, because of the timing, it sounds like this is the first time, instructional league that a lot of these pitchers are getting on a mound in a game situation in pro ball. And uh, how has that gone for a lot of them? I know I saw Gavin Williams out there, the the number one draft pick for the Indians, and some others, uh, big physical guys. But uh, good to get them on the mound a little bit before the off season kicks in.
0: Yeah, it really is, Rosie. I, I can't even really describe in terms of our pitching development with this particular group how excited. It's been to be able to watch this process. Uh, this process obviously started after the draft where we had those 20 arms come out, execute a foundations program, which is our rookie onboarding program uh, towards the end of July, and and watch those guys become Cleveland guardians throughout the summer, both physically and mentally. And, and they, they worked hard with the staff, and the staff worked hard with these guys um, throughout the months of July, August, building up through bullpen sessions, live BP sessions, simulated game sessions, <clears throat> all to peak for this, for this instructional league season. And, and to w- be able to watch what they've done on the mound, you, you talked about Gavin Williams last night, Trenton, Denholm, uh, Tanner Bybee, Tommy Mace, Nick Casey, hunter stanley i mean these guys are really doing it this fall and the best part is it's a combination of both their skill level which was identified by our tremendous scouting department and also the work that they've done with our, our pitching coaches within our player development program over the past couple months they're kind of seeing the the fruits of their labor so I'm glad that you brought up the pitching because for me, Rosie, that's been a, a real highlight of this program and something for, for all of us to be really excited about over the coming years.
2: And Larry, you've been in the organization for several years and we're visiting with Larry Day, who's running instructional league this fall out in Goodyear, Arizona. And I know you've been a, a coach at different levels, but, but now you're overseeing, I mean, the, the start of things for a lot of these kids in pro ball uh, what's that like for you as a coach to, to see that first step in development for these guys after they've been drafted?
0: yeah it, it is a it is an opportunity and a, and a responsibility that that I cherish and I'm extremely grateful uh, for Mike and Chris and and James Harris and Carter Hawkins at the time to be able to to entrust me with such a uh, I think, vital role in terms of teaming up with a great team of staff here in Arizona to introduce uh, a a very diverse group of players into professional baseball. We are introducing many of them to, obviously, the Cleveland Guardians organization. We're introducing many of them to um, the United States of America. We're we're introducing many of them to their first time away from home. Um, so, to take all those things into account to try and really set the foundation that we envision for these players and these people, because the play of player development includes the 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 person development and all the life skills that it takes to, to kind of be out there on your own at such a young age. Uh, it, again, it's a it's an opportunity and a responsibility that that I, I cherish and, and take very seriously.
2: And Larry, will close with this. You are doing a great job of the team name, Cleveland Guardians. You're transitioning nicely. Uh, the one thing that said that hit home last weekend watching the, the inter-squad game, uh, they are still wearing the Indians' uniforms. So you guys are the last ones to, to be doing that. Has that uh, hit home at all about uh, just being the last ones even after the major league team finished up in early October that, that you still get to wear indians gear before the transition really takes hold here this winter
0: yeah it has it's, it's funny um with that fletcher wilkes our, our clubhouse manager out here he essentially had the opportunity to roll out all of his equipment so these players when they got to town their, their lockers were filled with You know, multiple shirts, multiple cage jackets, multiple pairs of shorts. You know, anything that said Indians on it were things that they had, they got to receive to be able to wear in this program as we try and kind of restock the inventory with, with, uh, with guardians' apparel. So, um, certainly excited to be able to embrace, um, the new team name. And, uh, for now, we have about seven more days of, at least on the player development side, of uh, being the Cleveland Indians.
2: That's changing times for sure, but uh, the one constant, the Indians player development side of things, has been excellent for many seasons, and it's the lifeblood of the franchise. Larry, thanks so much for coming by. Thanks for the hospitality last weekend, and we'll catch up with you soon.
0: Thanks, Rosie. Anytime. Look forward to seeing you next time.
2: That's Larry Day, the Indians player programs coordinator. He's running Instructional League out in Goodyear, Arizona. Stay tuned, more to come. We're after. headed to the top.
1: We're on the warpath, it's spreading far and wide. We're t-
2: Welcome back to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive. As mentioned in our open today, a sad week in Indians baseball as Ray Fosse passed away earlier this week at the age of 74. Eight seasons with the Indians, the first eight seasons of his major league career. He was a two-time all-star, a gold glove catcher, and of course most famous, unfortunately for him, and we'll delve into that in a little bit. But uh, the 1970 All-Star game, 12th inning, Pete Rose collided with Fosse at a play at the plate, a hard bowl-over slide, so to speak, maybe not even a slide, and Ray came away unhurt but later discovered that he had a fracture and separation of his shoulder and really uh, struggled with that throughout the remainder of his career. But a fine career it was. He went on to become an excellent broadcaster with the Oakland Athletics, the team that he won two World Series with, As a player, Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio had a great relationship over the years with Ray Fossey, and he fills us in on some of his memories and how difficult this week has been.
3: Uh, No question, Rosie, the remarkable Ray Fossey. Yeah, this one, like Mudcat, as you indicated, you know, it hits hard as you become very close friends with these gentlemen over the course of decades and Knowing that that Ray was battling cancer and, and had a strong strong fight for for many many years, finally succumbing to the battle, it uh, yeah it hit hard. Uh, he was a remarkable guy, a true fan favorite, just like Mudcat for that generation, uh, the generation in the seventies. Uh, Ray Fossey had the opportunity, Rosie, and the ability to be one of the great catchers in in baseball. Um, Many, many thought that if healthy, he could have matched Johnny Bench in terms of the kind of offensive uh, firepower that could be brought to that position in addition to being a a leader on the diamond, calling the game and and having a terrific arm and the toughness that it takes. I think the toughness was evidenced by The fact that after the famous collision at home plate in the 1970 All-Star Game in Cincinnati, he played with a separated shoulder right after the All-Star Game and uh, didn't even know it, um, which obviously furthered the damage uh, to that area of his body and showed an incredible toughness. But uh, whenever you think of Ray Fossey, you think about he had time for everybody. Uh, you know that personally. I know it would, ever he would come to town. He had time for us and loved coming to Cleveland and took tremendous pride in the fact that he wore a Cleveland Indians uniform.
2: And you mentioned that and, and it had been a long time since he wore that uniform. He, he obviously, he obviously broke in with the Indians after being drafted by them, uh, then came back for a brief period in 1977. But, um, the good years with Oakland, part of their World Series teams, and then so many years as a broadcaster starting in 1986 with the Athletics. But it always seemed like that the Indians were his second home almost when uh, whenever the Indians and in Athletics would play. And, and that had to, to really make you and I'm sure so many others feel really good about uh, his thoughts on the Indians and his time in Cleveland.
3: I would say, Rosie, we are his first home. <laughs> we're the ones who drafted him. Number one, 1965, um, deep, deep in his heart, um, there was an incredibly special place for the city of Cleveland and the Cleveland Indians franchise. You know, it's special for players. The teams that draft you and nurture you to become a big leaguer, those organizations uh, stay in your heart and soul forever. And that was true with Ray. Uh, As you said, yes, he won two World Series uh, with the Oakland A's and spent uh, uh, his entire broadcasting career uh, calling Oakland A's games and obviously a special place uh, uh, in his heart for the athletics. But deep down, Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians hold something dear in him he would send me christmas cards and there was one year that his christmas cards they went back he and his wife uh the photos around it were all cleveland indians uniforms he wrote a wonderful note he and his wife to me on on that one again putting on that uniform here in cleveland uh, meant a whole lot to ray and carol flossy
2: you you mentioned it briefly uh The year he was drafted, 1965, was the first draft as we know it today, and he was the first player taken by the Cleveland Indians. Times are different now, and here he is in high school. Explain uh, how it all went when he was notified that he had been drafted by the Cleveland Indians.
3: Everybody in the school, Ray, would say at Marion High School in Marion, Illinois, that they thought that Ray was going to get drafted. Uh, because he was such a phenomenal athlete. But he's sitting in the classroom at Marion High School, and the phone rings in the classroom. Teacher walks over, answers the phone, nods, hangs it up, turns to Ray and said, Mr. Fossey, you are wanted in the principal's office. And everybody started doing and on as he got up. And He knew he wasn't in trouble getting sent to the principal's office. He knew what the day was. The draft was happening. And he said that walk from the classroom to the principal's office was so unreal because he thought, here I go. My life's going to change dramatically. And who am I going to be playing for? What team uh, am I going to actually be playing for? And he walks into the principal's office and Principal standing there holding the phone. Ray grabs it and says hello. And it's a a scout, the scout in that area from the Cleveland Indians telling him that he was the number one draft pick of the Cleveland Indians. And uh, just a a fun, fun story uh, of how Ray Fosse, you know, getting up from either English or science class and all of a sudden his life has changed.
2: But just amazing when you, you think about how it is today where it's a, a multimedia production in the evening and they, they bring players in that they think will be top draft picks. Well, Bobby, I know a, a tough a tough week as um, one of our favorites has passed away, Ray Fossey. But thanks a lot for sharing some memories, and we'll catch up with you real soon.
3: Well, thanks for having me, Rosie, as always. And uh, you take care, sir.
2: That's Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiaseo. Stay tuned. More to come after this.
1: With round-the-clock protection at a great price, your Progressive policy works the way it's supposed to, unlike this unenthusiastic hype man.
2: Okay, everybody, let's make some noise. Put your hands up. We're not. It's your call.
1: Here we go now. Here we go. Switch to Progressive today.
2: It is electric in here.
1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. The game was tied in the bottom of the 12th when Charlie Hustle rounded third, looking to score on a Jim Hickman single. And suddenly, Ray Fosse was all that stood between Rose and a National League win.
2: Welcome back to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we take you down the stretch on this week's show. We've been taking a look back at the life and times of Ray Fossey, one of the more popular Cleveland Indians in the early 70s. Eight seasons with the Tribe and an All-Star in his first full Major League season when he hit 18 home runs, drove in 61 in 120 games to play his way onto the All-Star team. And in the 12th inning of that year's game in Cincinnati, Pete Rose scored the game-winning run, colliding with Fossey at the plate. And in the aftermath, Fossey, it was learned later, had a fracture and separation of his shoulder. And, uh, well, let's, let's take a listen back to our last interview with Ray. This was during the COVID shutdown of the summer of 2020. He joined us to talk about some of his great memories of his playing career, including that night, 1970, and he takes us back to the beginning of that season with a little backstory leading into the All-Star Game.
1: Well, if I can, if I can go back towards the beginning, as I mentioned, I started the season on April 7th. Duke Sims and I were platooning. Duke was a left-handed hitter, and Hoot Evers, who was a hitting coach. Uh, it was um, we had faced we were facing the White Sox, and I had faced. Uh, I think it was Tommy John and Joel Horland was pitching the next day. So, Joel Horland being a right-handed pitcher, Tommy John a lefty. I faced the lefty. I was out taking early batting practice with the extras. And Hoot Evers went back in to tell Alvin Dark. He says, you know, Ray's swinging the bat pretty well. Why don't you start him? So, essentially, I started playing every day. And I was catching doubleheaders. Matter of fact, I caught a doubleheader on that Sunday before we went down to Cincinnati, uh, Sam McDowell and I. But, Rosie, you know, it was a special first half for me. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. My career did nothing. That first half of 1970 was special for me. I got an Army Reserve unit. Uh, I did my time uh, every weekend. I, I, I did my time during the week, and I'd go to the park, and and I'd get a standing ovation because I didn't start a game on a Saturday or Sunday when I was doing my military time. So, But when I'd run from the dugout to the bullpen during the game, I'd get a standing ovation from the fans. I mean, the fans were tremendous during that period of time. And then I ended up having a 23-game hitting streak. And Rosie, we were in New York, and Mike Paul was pitching as a doubleheader in the second game. And this explosion had occurred between home plate and first base, and Elston Howard was coaching first. I didn't think anything about it, except it was a very loud explosion. But in the second game, and because it was a second game, a bunch situation, I was standing up. Thank God I was, because a cherry bomb, ill madey something was thrown from the mezzanine section of Yankee Stadium, and it landed at the arch of my left foot, and it blew me about three feet in the air. So that explosion that I heard, I experienced it firsthand when it exploded my foot. I went in the air, and my foot was burning. Uh, Wally Bach was our trainer, came out. I took off my, my shoe, my double sanitaries, and all this stuff, and I had this fire in my arch of my left foot. And there was a, it was this fire, like a size of a dime, just burning. Well, I put Sam on it. I stayed in the game and Bobby Mercer was playing center field. And at the time I had a 16 game hitting streak and I hit a ball to center field. Bobby broke back and then broke into late and the ball dropped in front of him. And I looked out at him and I was thinking, I don't know if you were sympathetic with what happened to me at home plate, but thank you very much. Cause I kept my hitting streak alive and I ended up hitting in 23 consecutive games, but you know, to, to be a part of the all-star team, uh, Rosie, and I, 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 I have the video. Uh, it was narrated, I think, by Kurt Gowdy. And the, the, the way they introduced the players, it wasn't just everybody on the, the foul line introducing them. Leading off for the American League, Luis Aparicio playing shortstop. And they did the highlights of him. And then Brooks Robinson, third base. Rosie, I counted the number of Hall of Famers in that game had to be close to 20 of 60 players. So a third of the players ultimately are ended up being in the Hall of Fame. I'm sitting on the bench, and I remember Brooks Robinson and Harmon Killebrew and, and Jim Harmon. These, these guys were sitting up on, oh, well, just another game. I'm running up and down the dugout like a kid in a candy store. I'm so excited. It was about 120 degrees in Cincinnati on the artificial surface. But, you know, to get a chance to get in the game and uh, got a hit off Gaylord Perry down the right field line, uh, hit a sack fly, got to face Bob Gibson. And, I, again, I'm just – but Rosie, the one thing I did that I made a mistake that I learned for the rest of my career, Dick Dietz came up to the plate and we had a four to one lead in the ninth inning. And Dick Dietz came up to lead off the inning. I, his nickname was Mule. I said, Hey, Mule, I'll see you next spring because we train in Arizona. He and uh, Phoenix and I was in Mesa. It's hits a home run. Next thing I know, I'm going back up to hit and it's four to four. And Dick Dietz said, How you doing, Ray? And I said, I'd never say that again because, I mean, all of a sudden, three runs in the ninth inning, they tie the game, ends up going to the 12th inning, and, um, you know, the collision occurred. But the misconception, Rosie, the the, the real misconception is that, yes, Sam McDowell, Sam's wife Carol, my wife Carol, and I flew to Cincinnati on Sunday. Uh, It's not like it is now where they have all the celebrations and, you know, parties and all those things. We had the workout on Monday. And it was so hot on that artificial surface. Guys were dancing around, and, you know, the temperature was just just unbelievably hot. I'm glad the game on Tuesday was a night game. We got back to the hotel, and Sam McDowell knew Pete Rose. And we were in the lobby of the hotel. Sam saw Pete, and Pete said, hey, what are you guys doing for dinner? We said nothing. So the six of us, and ironically, it was Pete Rose and Carolyn Rose, Carol McDowell, Sam McDowell, Carol Fossey, Ray Fossey. We all go to dinner. And Pete said, well, we're finished. You want to come to our house? So we ended up going to his house. And he keeps talking about, well, Ray wanted to talk about Johnny Bench. Well, yeah, because we didn't have interleague play. Johnny was with Cincinnati. I was with Cleveland. You know, uh, we we played that exhibition game once a year, and might seem. But, you know, it was sure. I was interested in Johnny Bench as another catcher. The play happened. And then all of a sudden, all these stories come about that it was Pete and I out to, as he said, we were out to 4 o'clock in the morning having a great time. I go, we weren't, what are you talking about? We were with our wives and and I got to back to the hotel at one o'clock. It was a night game. So it's, it's not like, you know, it was four or five in the morning and getting at daybreak, but you know, it, it's just unfortunate that yes, the play happened. It's probably going to be remembered as, as a play for the forever, but I just didn't like the fact that uh, there were, there've been a lot of things that have been said in the last 50 years that have been untrue. And um, that that probably disappointed me the most to the point that our daughters, Nikki and Lindsay, um, who have wonderful children, our grandchildren, said, why don't you and mom write a a story about the way it was and put it on a website? So we did that, put it on rayfossey.com. And if people want to read it and see exactly and hear or read about what happened, they can read that. I'm not pushing the site, but bottom line. I just got tired of so many people saying, well, he said this, and you're saying this. And I said, well, I know exactly what happened, and this is what happened the way it was. And uh, like I said, Rosie, it's, it's something that people are going to talk about. Uh, players that I see now that I broadcast with the A's, um, they'll come up to me, have no idea who I am, which is fine with me. I say, I'm one of the broadcasters. Then all of a sudden, they say, you're the guy. i went, like, what do you mean? He says, you're the guy that the guy ran over. You know, so. It's it's come full circle, but 50 years ago, it's what it happened in July 14th, and coincidentally, this year's All Star game was scheduled to play be played on July 14th. How about that?
2: Did did you and Pete ever have a chance to to talk it through at all later in your career?
1: Rosie, the next year, coincidentally, I, I played with a fractured and separated shoulder, and the late Jimmy Warfield, we miss him so so much because I mean, first of all, great worker but a great person as well. And unfortunately lost him way, way too soon. But Jimmy Warfield, I, I, I didn't miss a game. Uh, Wally Bach actually was a trainer that year, as I mentioned. And then Jimmy came in 71, but I continue to play. I, I, matter of fact was the starting catcher in, in Kansas city. in the all-star game on a Tuesday, Thursday and I played. So the next year we're having an exhibition game, where we always had, you know, the, you, know, you guys still do it with, uh, with Cincinnati. You still we play that not. annual, Okay, well, okay at that time it was playing Cincinnati, which I got a chance to play Crosley Field, um, Riverfront and now Great American Ballpark. So I've seen all three there. But we're playing this particular year, 1971, in Cleveland. And I was in the outfield and Pete was running. And Jose, the words that he said, I'll never forget. He said, how come you're off to a slow start? (laughs) Well, he didn't know. But I just had my shoulder re-x-rayed and found out that I'd been playing with a fractured, separated shoulder. Uh, stupidly because, you know, at that time, if the bone wasn't sticking out, you didn't, you know, hey, you're fine, play. Don't worry about it. And um, But I couldn't lift my, my arm above my head. And as I sit here talking to you right now, my left shoulder is excruciating pain because over the years with arthritis and bone on bone, uh, it hurts. So, you know, but so does the rest of my body, so that's part of it. But that, those were the only words. I did have a chance to see him briefly. Uh, when Buddy Bell was playing for Cincinnati, and I went to see Buddy after I had retired, and I uh, saw him. And, you know, I saw Pete, but no conversation about it. Although he he did sign a baseball, I said, can you at least sign a baseball for me? And he said, to Ray, thanks for making me famous, Pete Roach.
2: <laughs> oh, my
1: goodness. <laughs> That's it.
2: Great to hear the voice of Ray Fossey, that voice now quiet as he passed away earlier this week. At the age of 74, and as Bobby D. had mentioned earlier in our show, a friend to so many, always made you feel welcome and always loved to talk baseball, a game that, that he loved so much and, and stayed with it right to the end. We saw him earlier this summer when the Indians played at Oakland, and uh, he was still calling games, and he gave that up about three weeks later and um, passed away earlier this week after a long, long battle with cancer. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, thanks to Brian Motze for helping to put together our show each week. We'll be back with another edition next week as we continue with our hot stove shows, taking you up until spring training 2020 for the Cleveland Guardians. Until then, next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk presented by Progressive on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Thanks for being a part of it. So long, everybody, from downtown Cleveland. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.